0: Good morning, everybody. My name is Amy and I'm the executive pastor here at Incarnation um, and I loved that gospel reading. So thank you, Josie. Let me pray for us. Um, I'm actually gonna use the words of that prayer that Robin Cheryl just let us in. Um, Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight Lord, my rock and my redeemer, amen. Well, if you uh, have spent any time with me or (laughs) listening to me, um, humoring me here at Incarnation, then it's probably no secret to you that I really love and deeply appreciate Henry Nouwen. He is a Dutch Catholic priest and he wrote many, many, many books. And when he was in his fifties, he was a professor of theology at Harvard. And he heard this very clear call from God to go and live among the poor in spirit. And so Henry Nowen did, he left the prestige of Harvard and he spent the rest of his years living among a community of people with and without intellectual disabilities called LARSh. And a lot of you know that we actually have some LARSh communities here in South Arlington and that our own Eva Elizabeth has worked with Larsh for many years. It's a wonderful ministry. And for most of the years of the past decade, I have read this book by Henry Nouwen every year during Lent. It's like a daily devotional. Uh, I confess, I've been a little bit spotty with it this year, but every year that I have read it without fail, I come to this passage in the first week of Lent and every year it just guts me again. And so I'm going to read this to you. and writes, the love of God has become visible in Jesus. How is that love made visible through Jesus? It is made visible in the descending way. This is the great mystery of the incarnation. God has descended to us human beings to become a human being with us, and once among us, descended to the total dereliction of one condemned to death. It isn't really easy to feel or understand this descending way of Jesus. Every fiber of our being rebels against it. We don't mind paying attention to poor people from time to time, but descending to a state of poverty and becoming poor with the poor That we don't want to do. And yet, that is the way Jesus chose as the way to know God. Well, that sort of descending way, that downward mobility that Henry Nowen talks about, is exactly what Paul is going to talk about in this week's chapter from 1 Corinthians 9. Now, we're in the second chapter. In the second week of this three-chapter argument that Paul is building about whether or not it's okay for the Corinthian Christians to eat food sacrificed to idols. So he started this in chapter eight last week, this week we're in the middle, and next week we'll hear the conclusion on the whole thing. And the conflict, like so many of the conflicts that are tearing the church in Corinth apart, falls along the lines of those that Paul calls the strong and the weak. So the strong to use kind of the Henry now an example, these are like the Harvard Christians in Corinth. These are people of prestige, of status, of wealth, people with knowledge and education and a high social standing. And then the weak in Corinth are more like the Larsh community. These are people who in chapter one, Paul called low and despised people maybe without a lot of knowledge or understanding, people with very little status and very little money. And last week we learned how the strong Corinthian Christians wanted to keep eating this food that had been sacrificed to idols because it's a big part of their social life. They knew that the gods of these pagan temples weren't real, they don't hold any real power And so the Corinthians felt like they had every right to keep up with this practice. But the weak wanted nothing to do with it. The weak were worried that this pagan worship would pull them back into this life of idolatry that Jesus had saved them from. And last week, Paul told those strong Corinthians that knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. He said that the way they were using their knowledge to justify eating this food was destroying their weaker brothers and sisters when it should be building them up in love. And this week in chapter 9, Paul's going to take on the idea of rights. The key word here is this Greek word exousia. It's the word for rights, privilege, power, and authority. And Paul already set this up back in chapter 8. He said take care that this right of yours, this exousia, doesn't somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. Now in chapter nine, he's going to really dig into this idea. He's going to use this word five times, and he's going to build up this argument about how the Christians use their rights. And he begins by asking, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus Christ, our Lord? Are not you my workmanship? In other words, he's saying, I am an apostle. I planted the church that you all worship, and I have spoken to Jesus himself. If anyone around here ought to have rights and freedoms and privileges, it's me, Paul. And then he spends about half of the chapter arguing about all the rights he has as an apostle, particularly the right to be supported financially by this church. Now, you might be wondering, wait, I thought we were talking about the right to eat or not eat food sacrificed to idols. Why is Paul talking about his right to get paid? What does this have to do with it? Well, just Hang in there because Paul will make it clear. So first, he gives them some really practical, real-life examples. He talks about how Peter and how the other apostles, they get paid for their ministry. Their churches support them so much that they even can bring their wives to travel with them on their ministry visits. And then he gives these real-world examples of a soldier and a vineyard keeper and a shepherd people who make their living by a certain trade and how how they are paid and receive benefits from their work and have every right to do so. And then Paul goes into this interesting argument from the law of Moses and he quotes what feels like this really random proof text from Deuteronomy 25 that says, you shall not muzzle an ox while he treads out the grain meaning that even an oxen has the right to bend down and eat the heads of grain that he is working so hard to thresh into flour. And if Paul is working as hard as an ox to sow the seeds in this church in Corinth, then when they start to sprout and grow, shouldn't he be paid? But if we look a little bit closer at this reference from the law of Moses We start to get a clue where Paul is going with all this, and that he's not just clamoring to make more money or to have more rights. Because if you remember, Paul is Jewish and he's a Pharisee. So he knew the law of Moses backwards and forwards. He is not going to proof text it, he doesn't just sprinkle it around willy nilly like it's nothing. That oxen quote is actually part of this big section of the law. And Bob read part of it a few minutes ago. And in this section of the law, God is giving people all of these instructions not to squeeze out every last drop of productivity from their vineyards and their olive trees and their fields. And not to squeeze out every last bit of punishment for their enemies from their legal system. God tells them again and again and again to willingly, voluntarily leave some food in the field, leave some olives on the tree and some grapes on the vine, even leave some floggings unflogged on the courtroom floor, leave some stuff behind for the most vulnerable and weak people in your community again and again and again in this part of the law that Paul's pulling from, God tells his people not to take everything that is rightfully theirs, but to leave some stuff on the table. And why? So that they remember that they were slaves in Egypt. In other words, God is saying, you know what it's like to be weak, And now you know what it's like to be free, and you really are free. I rescued you from slavery. I have restored your rights and your dignity, but I didn't set you free so you could squeeze everything that's rightfully yours from the land and from the justice system. I didn't set you free so you could trample on the dignity of other people, especially vulnerable people. I set you free so that everyone around you would see what kind of good and loving and saving God I am. So now we sort of see where Paul is going all this time that he's been building up this case for his rights using the apostles example and these real world examples and then the law He's actually building it up so he can tear the whole thing down. In verse 12, he flips all of this on his head and says, nevertheless, we have not made use of this right to be paid, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Paul has every right to be paid as an apostle, but he has chosen not to use it. Instead, he's a blue-collar worker. Acts chapter 18 tells us that when Paul gets to Corinth, he starts working, making tents and awnings and sails with Aquila. And in the world of ancient Corinth, it's actually kind of helpful to understand how people got paid for the kind of work that Paul does. Because it was actually normal for philosophers and teachers like Paul to charge for their teaching In fact, the most popular and prestigious philosophers in Corinth said that if you didn't charge money for your teaching, then you probably didn't have anything very valuable to teach. You probably weren't a very good teacher at all. Or another way that people got paid was they would find a wealthy patron and they would become sort of their resident philosopher, like their house philosopher or house teacher. And in Paul's case, a patronage like that would make him something like a personal chaplain to whoever pays his bills. But that's not what Paul wants in Corinth. He doesn't want to be their six-figure celebrity preacher, and he doesn't want to be the country club chaplain to the strong and the rich. So Paul becomes a manual laborer he becomes exactly the kind of low status, no rights person that the Corinthians think of as weak. He gives up his right to be paid. He gives up his right to eat meat sacrificed to idols and he becomes weak. And that's why he can say later in this chapter, though I am free from all, to the Jews I became as a Jew. To those under the law, I became as one under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. To the weak, I became weak. Notice he doesn't say, I became as one who was weak, but I became weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. So Paul is telling the Corinthians by his words and really by his life what their exousia is actually for. He's saying your rights are not for lording over people. They are not for squeezing out every last drop of what's rightfully yours. They're not for living how you wish or eating whatever you please or using your money however you want. They are for laying down at a moment's notice for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the weak, for showing the world the kind of good and loving and saving God that we have. And this is the same thing that we saw Josie doing or Jesus doing in Josie's um, presentation of the gospel. Jesus stopped at nothing that by any means he might save that one sheep that had been lost. And Paul himself knows what it's like to be outside the sheepfold. He knows what it's like to be chased down by Jesus. His life had been transformed when the good shepherd had laid his life down for him when he was a wayward sheep. And now, Paul is laying his life down for these Corinthian sheep. He's relinquishing what is rightfully his so that he can bring more people into the sheepfold, more people into the loving salvation of God. So, just a quick word of caution though rights are good. About 15 years ago, I worked for an international religious freedom NGO, and I spent a lot of time traveling to these authoritarian countries where minority faiths and minority ethnic groups had almost no rights. Many of them were Christians. They couldn't speak or write or worship freely. Their property would be confiscated. They were routinely harassed and beaten. They weren't allowed to get anything other than the most menial and humiliating and low paying jobs. And I saw again and again, up close, how important rights are. Not just so people can live with dignity, but also so the church can flourish and thrive. So people have access to scripture and community so they can study and worship and grow and share the gospel and love and serve their neighbors. Our rights are precious and they really do matter. We are enormously privileged to live under the rule of law with all of the rights that we have. And when we see people around us whose rights are not well protected, we see people who seem weak and voiceless, like the weak in Corinth or like the weak among us, people like people with disabilities people like children in the womb, or immigrants on our borders, the jobless, those who are susceptible to COVID, who are high risk, the marginalized and the poor. We do well to want to protect and strengthen their rights. But that's not who Paul is talking to right here. Paul is talking to the strong, wielding their rights at the expense of the weak. And we just cannot escape the reality that we in America look a lot more like the strong Corinthians than the weak. We are people of rights and privileges and freedoms of knowledge and wealth and power. And Paul's word to the strong like us is to become weak. Well, it's Lent. It's a season of preparation, of self-examination, and so I want to invite you to really dig into this. You might want to talk to your small group about it. You might want to just journal or pray about it, but I want to invite you to ask God whether there is some area of your life where you need to relinquish your rights, where God is inviting you to become weak for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of building others up in love. I think Martin Luther summed this up so well, when he said, a Christian is a perfectly free Lord of all, subject to none. A Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant to all, subject to all. Let's pray. God set our feet on the descending way of Jesus. Help us know that we are perfectly free and help us know that we are perfectly dutiful servants. Give us wisdom about when to exercise our rights and when to set them down. And above all, make us people whose lives build one another up in love people willing to do all for the sake of the gospel that we might share in its blessings, amen. Now we'll enter a time of silence together.